0: All right, well, um, as I said before, this, uh, this morning we're looking at Genesis 3, and this is uh, called the fall. Uh, this is, um, the fall is, <laughs> before this day, everything is just great, right? Animals are frolicking, um, the earth is happy. I'm doing this, and this is going to freak everyone out. Uh, <laughs> the earth is happy, there's no wind, glory, hallelujah, right? Don't you notice that there's no wind and everything's good? Maybe that's important. Uh, People are naked. (laughs) It's all good before the fall. (laughs) But today we get to the root of all of our problems in the world. Uh, And so if we don't get this chapter, then the rest of our life just doesn't make sense. If you've ever wondered, what happened? Like, (laughs) that ever happened to you before? I think my kids think this every time they get into my truck. Uh, (laughs) Three weeks ago, I cleaned my truck. I vacuumed. I sprayed the dash. uh, I took it to a car wash. It was beaming. And then a week later, there's random cups all over. There's peanut butter, open paint cans, broken glass, screws, trash. Like, it's like, what's happened here? It's like being on an episode of CSI, trying to investigate a murder. Is that blood? Uh, I actually literally had someone ask me that question when they got in my truck um, recently. No, it's coffee. And so sit in it, okay? Just sit in the coffee stains. But how did things get this bad this fast? That's how it feels when we come to Genesis 3. Everything was perfect. How did it get this bad so fast? Right now, all over the world, people are worshiping God, praising his name. But yet we also know that simultaneously, there are women stuck being sex slaves. We have greedy landlords. We have shootings based on melanin. We have babies murdered, children left to fend for themselves, and so how did we get this way? Well today we're looking at the, the linchpin in the Bible. There are a couple monumental passages that, that literally turn the whole course of human history, and this is one of them. And so we're going to look at this passage in four ways. We' look at the flirt, the fall, the curse and the Christ. And so the flirt, the fall, the curse, and the Christ. And so let's look at the flirt. Now, this passage is sometimes referred to as the doctrine of original sin. But actually, it's the spot where we see the original human sin. Because even before Adam and Eve's sin, we're introduced to Satan. And it's just kind of thrust upon us. If you were reading Genesis, this feels shocking. Uh, In verse 1, there's no... Here comes the general, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've been waiting for, here's Satan! <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> this is why little Nos and his Satan shoes doesn't bother me. <laughs> the devil isn't going to announce his presence. It's just, chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. We're thinking, crafty? <laughs> okay, is crafty a good thing? <laughs> well, have you ever asked someone, like, what's your date like? Oh, she's a little crafty. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good thing, right? <laughs> and so we're introduced to Satan in the most subtle ways. Why? <laughs> because this text isn't primarily about his fall, but ours. But just to curb your curiosity, there are two types of beings that God makes. Physical beings like us, who are also given a spirit. But they're spiritual beings, and those spiritual ones are called angels, And from Isaiah and Jeremiah, we learn that there is this war in heaven where a third of the angels joined Satan, this angel who who saw himself to be on par with God. Like, I should be leading these these armies. Uh, I've got good ideas. (laughs) So motivated by pride, he didn't want to follow God, but he wanted to be his own God. And then the others followed him. And so about a third of the angels who, who followed Satan, were kicked out of heaven. And those spirits or angels are now fallen angels or what we might call demons. And so uh, that's how he comes about. But also Revelation 12, 9 and, and 20, verse 2, tell us that this serpent or this ancient dragon is Satan. And now he's crafty and he's enticing. And and he would have been disarming enough for Adam and Eve uh, that they would even want to talk to an a serpent like this. And so my personal opinion is later when God curses Satan to crawl on his belly, that means that before this point, he's walking around. He's got legs. <laughs> he's a disarming happy dragon. <laughs> but dragons are scary, right? Which is why I think he was more like the Geico gecko. <laughs> nice and cute, probably has an accent, but ultimately he's going to murder billions of people, okay? That's how you always look at the Geico Gecko that way now. now look, at, look at how Satan flirts with Adam and Eve and, and how they flirt back. In verse 1, did God actually say? The devil gets you to doubt the word of God, to doubt God himself. Uh, and we don't want to hear that, do we? Satan doesn't, Satan doesn't deny God said all these things. He just places doubt. Did he really say? Notice how easy it is for the devil when we don't actually know God's word. Did God really say? Well, I don't know. I don't know God's word. Maybe he didn't. Maybe <laughs> we're, we're making it easy on the devil. We make it easy on him when we don't know what the word of God actually says. And then her response in verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, in her response, notice a couple of things. One, she adds to God's commandment. God only said, don't eat the fruit, but she adds, nor should they even touch it. So, she's the first ever Pharisee in the Bible. <laughs> but then she, she not only adds to God's commands, she then minimizes the penalty of breaking God's law. And said, don't eat of the fruit lest you die. This, this, this one word, die. But the original command that God gives is, if you eat, And our our translations say, certainly die. If you eat of it, you will certainly die. But the Hebrew there is that if you eat of the tree, you will, it literally is die, die. If you eat of the tree, you will die, die. It's a double death. A physical death and a spiritual death. Both body and soul will die. And what's interesting is a verse later when Satan, uh, who knows God's word well, it says in verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, or meaning you will not die, die. He knows God's word. He quotes God accurately, but he just gets them to doubt. To doubt what? The goodness of God. He doesn't want you to eat it because if you do, then in verse five, you will will know your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Y'all, that lie has gone down inside each and every one of us and it's still corrupting us. I know I shouldn't sleep with this person. I know I'm not supposed to hold a grudge. I know I'm supposed to give my money away, but we doubt God. He's holding back from me. There will be no temptation if you didn't doubt the goodness of God. Your heart is saying, if you don't obey, you won't be happy. The root of sin is unbelief. The reason we are tempted in sin is because we think God is a liar. That God doesn't really have my best interest in mind. He's not really good, at least not good to me. And so I whatever it is myself. And so all the areas where you need to ask for forgiveness in your life is a place where you believe God is a liar. We disbelieve vengeance is the Lord's and so we get it ourselves. We disbelieve all things are under his control and so we sinfully try to control it ourselves. We believe God is a liar when he says this sin will kill you and we just keep on playing with it. The devil is getting you to doubt God's goodness. But one thing we can say about the devil is what? That he is a liar. Amen? The devil is a liar. That is why we like to say all the time, God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. Let's say it again. God is good. All the time. And all the time, We need to hear that over and over and over. But look at verse 6. And you can just see she, she is at the point of no return after flirting with this temptation. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, well, we need to eat. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Why would he create this if he didn't want us to have it? <laughs> and that the tree, tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Where was the man? with her. That's important. Settle all the debates. Was with her. Okay. Everyone wants to know what fruit it was though, right? What fruit was it? Like, what fruit represents wisdom? And everyone thinks it's an apple for some reason, but apples are the dumbest of all fruits. Like, (laughs) pineapple is too laid back, right? You got to be on a beach for that. Some think it was a dragon fruit because Satan, serpent, dragon, right? Okay. I personally believe it was an orange. Why? Well, because oranges are the smartest fruit. Everyone knows that. They're made to concentrate. <laughs> Y'all can write your angry emails. It's it's good. If you can't hear, I'm getting booed here. You're probably booting at me at home. But now we go from flirting with sin to the fall of all humanity. It cannot be understated what just happened here. In this moment, all of history has been forever changed. The reason we have wars and genocide and racism and apathy is all because of right here. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Their eyes were opened. They were contaminated. Once open, this is all they could see. They were naked. Before, they didn't even think about it. But now they realize they're vulnerable and they they grab fig leaves to cover themselves. And this is what sin does. It shames. And in that shame, we isolate, we cover, we protect. And it's this downward spiral, a circle of when we sin. We doubt his goodness and so we sin. And then then we feel shame and so we hide and isolate. But in that isolation, we feel a lack of God's goodness. And we doubt him even more. And so we sin and the cycle just begins anew. This desire to hide is seen even clearer when God shows up in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this translation has never made sense to me. Sin enters the world. God is out for a nice breezy stroll. (laughs) But another way of translating this is, and they heard the sound of the Lord in the wind of the storm. This feels like a proper response to a cataclysmic event. God comes, and it's a thunderstorm coming. You can just smell it, you can hear it, you can feel it lightning and raging winds. I told you, wind's never good. And so Adam and Eve. verse, the verse goes on, "Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden." Which, I get it. you're afraid. you feel shame, so you hide, but you hide behind a tree? This doesn't feel right. Like, this is just plain dumb. Because it is. Sin makes you do stupid things. Sin makes you say stupid things. People get stupid when they sin. But the natural inclination is to cover up and to hide. And God comes along and asks in verse 9, where are you? Don't you love it when God asks questions like that? You know he's playing with you. You know he knows the answer. It's the same thing your mom did. So did you go to school today? Uh Uh-huh. How was it? Did you learn a lot? I bet you did. Fine! No, I skipped school, okay? Like, how did she know? <laughs> God's questions were designed to elicit confessions, not information. He knew perfectly well what they had done. And their response first is to hide, to isolate. But now when confronted with the Almighty, their response is, Adam. Well, the, the, the woman. Hmm. That's bold, right? The woman you, that you gave me. Adam, you going to go with that one? I don't know about this Adam character. Adam knew the covenant was, eat of it and they will die, die, right? And God comes and, and, and Adam says, here's the woman who deserves eternal damnation. Like, that's cold. And then God asks Eve. And she says, well, the devil made me do it. Like, it's getting ridiculous. The devil made me do it? No, that's the name of the Conjuring Three. The devil didn't make you do nothing. But here's the thing. Sin is a willingness to throw anybody under the bus to justify yourself. Sin is exploiting other people for your benefit. Steal from other people. Sin is is your life to enhance mine. Your value taken so that mine can stay intact. We all want to shift that blame away from us. And that's what we see in our daily lives, is it not? We are prone to wander, as the song we sung said. This need to pull people down to justify others, or ourselves at the expense of other people. To feel better by comparing yourself to other people. You're like, I may be bad, but at least I'm not like that. We're just reiterating what our parents did, and that brings us to the curse. God covenanted with Adam and Eve, if they didn't eat of the tree, they would live. But if they did, they would die, die, physically and spiritually. Spiritually, their eyes were opened and they died. And we know this is true because Ephesians tells us that we are dead in our sins and our transgressions, and so we are living that out. But physically, their death is delayed. They were cast out of the garden, but eventually they do die. The curse to Adam and Eve is that sin has affected everything. It affects our bodies. It affects our minds. It affects our work. Like, why do we age and things start to hurt? Why do our minds not work the way they should? Why do I keep forgetting things? Why why do some have pre-existing conditions? Because there is nothing The fall hasn't touched. And in the end, the dust always wins. God tells them in verse 19, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. No one escapes this curse. Sin is this malignant tumor that is just eating away at all of us, all of our relationships with God, with each other, and even with nature. To Eve in verse 16, it says, that her, her pain in childbearing will be multiplied and her desire will be either contrary to or toward her husband. There's debate over what that ex- exactly means. But then it says that the husband, due to the fall, will be to rule or, or to domineer the woman. And so as a result of the fall, there is discord and there's backbiting in marriages and friendships and relationships. And this is where jealousy and bitterness and rape and violence was all born. And then in verse 17, God speaks to Adam, and we see that our work is now affected by the fall. The ground and and all of nature are now affected. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And so all work is now harder than it needs to be due to the fall. And so do you hate your job? Well, we can blame Adam. Thanks, dude. But what I want us to see today, We don't blame Adam because we are Adam. We are Eve. We like to think that this is history. No, 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 no. This is sociology. This is not who we were. This is who we are. We're Adam. We're Eve. This original sin is like a virus that's inside every single one of us that has just passed down through the generations. It makes us prone to wander. I mean, Don't you feel that desire to just rebel naturally? This is who we are. The Christian doctrine of original sin is that we are corrupted. Not just some bad behaviors here and there. It's like sweet tea. Though I love sweet tea. (laughs) When you make sweet tea in the South, you don't just add a packet of sugar at the table. No, no, no. To make truly sweet tea, you need a pound of sugar (laughs) while the tea is still hot. And you make every part of the tea affected by the sugar. It absorbs into all of it. And many of us think that sin is like getting that iced tea from the north. And the sugar just floats to the bottom. And yeah, you can maybe separate it. But no matter how much you stir, the sugar hasn't really been absorbed into the water. But original sin is like that southern sugar tea. You can't separate them. It's part of who I am. I sin because I'm a sinner. It's not that I've done one or two bad things. The poison or the cancer has spread everywhere. And so I'm bent and I'm prone to wander away from God. Even worse than than being prone to sin, we're, we're more than addicts trying to kick their habit. Scripture makes it clear. We can do nothing but sin right now. It's who we are. It's become our nature. All of us are Eve. We've doubted God's goodness and have acted out. All of us are Adam, and, we, and, and maybe we say, but I didn't do anything. But that's right. One is a sin of commission. We transgressed God's holy law, but another is a sin of omission, and we did nothing. Why didn't Adam guard the garden? He just stood there. He did nothing. Why didn't he cast Satan out when he came? This is who we are now. But this is who we all are. Original sin also means it's all of us. Every single one of us. Every class, every culture, every living thing. The doctrine of original sin levels us all. We all are equally cast out and doomed unless there's some good news. Unless there is a Christ. And turn with me to verse 15. This is what many call the Proto-Evangelion or the first gospel. God God is cursing the devil. He's taking his little gecko legs away, making him crawl on on his belly, eating the dust, which is just a weird thing. Um, (laughs) Then in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, let's just leave that up on the screens here. So in the midst of cursing Adam and Eve and the devil, God is saying to the serpent, I will make enmity or or a war. I will make a war between you and a child that's going to come from Eve. You and I are born into the middle of this great war. There's this great friction, this great frustration between the devil's children and Eve's children. And then God says, he, everyone say he, He is someone from the line of Eve who will bruise the devil's head. Other translations, I think, put the force better in here. Crush the head of the serpent. He, this mysterious he, will crush your head, you devil. And in the act of crushing the head of the serpent, the serpent will bite the heel of this savior, this hero, this conqueror, this Christ that everyone has been looking for since Adam. Who is that? Who is this that will come from Eve that will crush the devil's head? Who in the act of crushing the devil's head has his heel bruised? His name is Jesus. Yeshua, the word incarnate. The first, the last, the alpha, the omega. In that one act of of death on the cross, Christ curb stomped the serpent's head. Christ delivers this death blow on Satan. He just doesn't know it yet. You see, Satan thought when Jesus bled out on the cross, he thought that he had won. He thought he had victory, but no, no, no. This, is, this was Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, celebrating a little bit too early, aren't we? Right? No, the, the devil is bound, and his fate and his doom is sure. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, we realized that this wasn't a death blow to the Savior of the universe. It was a bruise. Because he got up from the grave and he walked out of the tomb. And all he got on his hands were these marks of love. These, were, these holes were proof of love for you and for me. And this is the best news in the world. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two: For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall we all be made alive. And so, yes, we're all Adam. And we all died with him in this original sin. But if you are in Christ's, we are all mini-Christ's. We, we all shall rise. We, we had a physical and spiritual death, and we'll have a physical and spiritual resurrection. Hallelujah. And so that sin may be who we were, but if we die in Christ, we shall rise with him, and that's not who we are now. If you are in Christ, that, that old self may be who I was, but it's not who I am. Amen? But you have to be in Christ. This is why your friend or family member never truly changes. They're trying to make outward changes without making inward change. Maybe this is you. Maybe you fooled yourself into believing you're a Christian. Maybe you're like Adam and Eve where, where you're around God, you're around the church. You know some of, the, of his words. But really, we're, we're just dead inside. And we doubt his goodness all the time. Maybe like Adam and Eve, when when your sin is called out, you get defensive. It wasn't me. It was the wife or the kids that you gave me. It wasn't me. It was was my hard life. It's because I just didn't have enough blood sugar. It's because I'm an Enneagram blank. It wasn't me. We blame shift and we come up with a million excuses. Why? To hide. To hide from God. And so as dumb as it is for Adam to hide behind a tree, it's just as dumb that we're hiding behind these excuses for our sin. And then we hide behind these fig leaves too that we try to cover up. And so let me ask you, what are your fig leaves this morning? What do you use to hide who you truly are? Your appearance, that you've got it all together? It's a fig leaf. Maybe your voice on social media is a fig leaf. Your degrees? Your grades, your body, whether you're a good dad or good mom, and deep down we all feel inadequate. But our fig leaf is somewhat, something that we are using to cover us. And we're saying, but at least I'm better than them. We come up with all these ways to hide ourselves, to compare ourselves, and cling to this little leaf. And we think, this leaf will protect us. And this is what is killing us. That's what's separating us from forgiveness. All of this, all of these fig leaves. And so what are you hiding behind? What do you use to project your goodness to hide that dark side of you? Today, let Jesus Christ clothe you. That's the only way for you to say, that's who I was, but it's not who I am. It's to finally come clean, to be vulnerable, to be exposed and to let Christ clothe you with his love. At the end of this passage, God does something Wonderful in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife a garment of skins and clothed them. Do you see what God does? He clothes them. How? God offers a sacrifice. God takes the life of another to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Right then, God meets you in your moment of need. And so where do you need covering this morning? When you fall, God will meet you and cover you here and now. But the coats of skin in this passage are just forerunners or placeholders to the real covering that we all will get when Christ covers us with his own robe of righteousness. When he is sacrificed, we get clothed by himself. This morning, as we look at the abundant grace of God, right as humanity is seemingly mucking up his plan, I ask you to be honest about your sin. Stop hiding from him. He can handle it. Stop clothing yourself with these fig leaves and take the covering. Take shelter in the life of another and see how good, good, good he truly is. Let's pray.